Welcome back to the podcast, and special thanks today to Liat Goldstein for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. So. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I asked Liat to come talk to us a little bit about our makerspace, since she and Liat were, uh, Jennifer, sorry, were instrumental in, in creating it. So if you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about how did the whole idea of the makerspace come about? Sure. So, I guess it was three years ago, um, we were fortunate enough to be invited to a brand new program with Legacy Heritage, which I'm actually not 100% sure like what Legacy Heritage does overall, but I know that a big part of it is getting involved with Jewish day schools across the country and helping them develop programming and, um, you know, writing grants essentially for those programs. And they were starting a new program about technology in the classroom, integrating technology in innovative ways. And we were part of the first cohort to attend um, one of these institutes. They called it the uh, Maker Institute for Educational Technology. Um, and we got to go to San Francisco and spend um, 10 days at a conference hearing from experts across the country um, in various types of technology and innovative programs. Um, people from the Stanford Design School, who I believe were one of the leaders in makerspace technology, and then MakerEd, also one of the leaders in makerspace technology. We actually had never heard of makerspaces before we attended this conference. Oh, wow. Um, and the whole idea was that we would write a proposal for some sort of program that we would bring to the school that involved technology and um, they would issue us a grant based off of that proposal in order to um, realize the program and at the end of the school year we needed to do some sort of community outreach event centered around the program that we had brought to the school and we were so inspired by all of the speakers that we had and the other teachers from schools across the United States that run similar programs in their schools already that we really wanted to bring something on that level to Barron and incorporate a makerspace into the school so that students would have a chance to experience these technologies they um, perhaps had not seen before and had a chance to use before in a fun way that they would be able to be incorporated into various curricula and get kids of all ages in the school involved and be able to create something amazing. Very cool. And so at the time, I remember, I think it was actually my first year here, um, we did not even have a designated space. So how did that come, how did that come about? Where, where, how did you guys decide where the good spot would be? And then what did you have to do to, to make this makerspace into reality since you didn't just say it into existence? So our initial, our initial plan was actually to have an outdoor maker space in one of the outdoor classrooms, which we soon realized was way more complicated than it sounded, especially in the Texas heat and humidity. <laughs> um, you know, keeping electronic equipment outside was just not a great idea. And it gets very hot and the mosquitoes abound as soon as the temperature starts to warm up. Right. 
So it just so happened that there was a classroom. So since we had the additional building built and we were able to move some of the younger um, classes into that building, there was a classroom on the lower school hall that was not being used. And we um, asked petition administration to allow us to convert it into the makerspace. It happened to really be an ideal location because it's very visible when you walk into the school and it has a door to the sukkah. So it allows us to take some of the tables outside and do, for example, woodworking outside where we don't have to worry about wood shavings and wood chips and sawdust. Um, so it allows us to still bring things outside, which was part of our initial plan and keep the room a bit tidier than it would be <laughs> outside. But the setup of the room was very complicated. It was outfitted for early childhood. And so we kind of had to strip everything down. We were very fortunate that we made a connection with the um, manager at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. And he very generously donated the materials that we needed to repaint and refinish the room. And Jennifer and I, we went to several different stores trying to find the proper um, equipment for the room tables because you need varying heights if you're going to be you know drawing or sewing then you need tables that are a bit taller than what would normally be in a classroom and it still had early childhood friendly tables in there that are very small right. and very close to the ground um, so that was um, a bit of an undertaking, but fortunately we were able to um, actually have a parent at the school who offered to make us some modular uh, tables. Amazing. That, from wood scraps that he had. And he made us these incredible um, sewing height, you know, or I guess crafting height tables that are very lightweight mm -hmm. so we can move them easily around the room they fit through the door so we're able to take them outside and they have mdf tops so that if they get scuffed up or scratched or you know sawed through because they were using them for wood crafting you just have to pry the nails out and replace it with new mdf and they're very solid tables so that was an amazing addition and thank you so much to i don't know if i'm allowed to mention his name. absolutely mark passy it's really fantastic for, for making those tables for us and donating them because they get used every day. They're wonderful. And forgive my ignorance. You said M MPS? MDF. MDF. What does that stand for? I think, I'm actually not sure. Okay. <laughs> I just looked it up a few weeks ago because we were curious about it. It's some sort of like um, engineered wood. Basically, they, I think, compress the wood to make it really solid. Cool. And so it's just like inexpensive and thin but really hard and easy to switch out if it gets messed up from all of the work that we do on it. Learn something new every day and I think you're under understating even the, the time and energy you and Jennifer put in. How many hours would you estimate you guys spent painting and setting up and, and building these things that you had never built before and I mean it had to be well over 100 hours. It was I mean it was a collaborative effort so we so Ari Kellerman, Rabbi Kellerman, was also part of the initial setup team. He came with us to California. He was part of the team that um, came up with the idea, um, and he helped us set up the room. We were here over the weekend on a Sunday, and Jennifer brought her husband and her kids who got involved, and I Ari brought his kids also, and they were helping paint. Um, 
of course, Ari is a principal, so he was very busy, and we understand, uh, we understood that, and didn't ask for a lot of his time, like carrying on from that. But it did. So we painted on a Sunday, um, and furniture shopping and things like that we would do after school or on Sundays as well. And then, as far as the equipment, once we had decided what equipment we wanted in the room, we wanted to make sure that we knew how to use them. <laughs> Bonus. So, we took a sewing class. We drove out to Cyprus with our machines and took a sewing class on a Sunday. And we attended classes at the Makerspace downtown for the 3D printing um, lessons. And then the rest of it was just kind of learning by wow. learning by doing. And I remember um, thinking like, whoa, these are both full-time middle school teachers and they're doing all this stuff on top of it. It was really uh, unbelievable. And uh, again, I, I do, every time I mention this space, I give you two credit because uh, the in inordinate time and energy that you put into it and that you continue to put into it. Um, I know that first year uh, there was an amazing STEM fair. And I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that because it was your vision. Yeah, so part of the grant involved a community showcase and the way that the grant was set up was um, half of the grant was to be allocated towards the community showcase. It was supposed to be a very big deal because you wanted to get the community involved and really see what you were doing with the program that you had envisioned. Mm -hmm. And so our idea of the community showcase was STEM Day. So we got the entire school involved where each grade would pick a STEM-related topic um, that was age-appropriate that they would um, the teacher would teach the lesson in class and do some sort of activity um, hopefully an activity that's interactive that if they were to um, explain it to someone then there would be some sort of associated um, lab or demonstration that the person learning about it could take part in and they all created trifold posters about their project um, and on our chosen STEM day, we set up booths around outside in the sukkah and on the basketball court and in the grass. And each grade had one table, one booth, where they got to set up their project and their poster. And we invited the community. Um, a lot of people came. It was very exciting. It's incredible. We had Teachers like Gilafen was taking flyers and putting them up in all of the grocery stores <laughs> and the kosher restaurants and the JCC, which was amazing. And um, so it was, I, I don't remember what day it was, but one day after school, right. we started it after carpool, um, that we invited the community in and we provided food and they got to walk through all of the different booths and the kids were running the booths. The teachers were there to supervise, but really we wanted the kids to be running the booths because it gave the children an opportunity to teach people about the lesson that they had done and the project that they had created. And it was very exciting for them because they get very excited by the idea of being able to teach someone something. Right. And we, I mean, we even had kindergarten and early childhood displays. Those were more artistic displays, but that's part of STEM as well. Absolutely. And many of the booths were interactive, and some of them even had items that you could take home once you created them. And so we had Judaic booths and secular booths, artistic, you know, art-related booths, and math and science and everything, all of it's part of STEM. Yeah. 
and it was um, really amazing. And then we did a raffle and raffled off a few fun STEM at home activities. And I remember the legacy heritage person who was here to observe all of this, you know, pulled me aside. And so I have to tell you, like, this is way above and beyond what we ever expected and was really blown away by the whole thing. It was really an incredible day and really a nice victory lap because you guys had put so much time and effort into it and it really paid off. That was, everyone will tell you what a special event that was. And once COVID's in our rear view, we really look forward to getting that back going. Um, how did the how did the name Bima evolve? So that one, we actually came up with it while we were in California. And we started off just with the word Bima because of the, it's kind of a rough translation. It's not an exact translation, but you know, you have a Bima in a, in a synagogue in a show. Right. And my interpretation of the word Bima was a platform. And you know, you, when you speak about platforms, one of the definitions of a platform is like raising people up to be able to do something. So the vision was to use the name Bima to mean like a platform for students to be able to do something, to use their skills and their knowledge that they've acquired through the different tools in Bima to, to make something and make something better, make the world better. Right. And then the, I believe it was Jennifer who said we should make it an acronym. And it was, it kind of, evolved over time because our initial idea was really centered around another project that I'm involved in with my students, which um, is about humanitarian aid around the world. Right. But that was a very, it ended up being a small part of what BIMA does, but of course it is an integral part of what BIMA does. Um, so our initial acronym was Barron International Maker Aid, and that didn't really fit what BIMA ended up becoming. Right. So now it stands for Barron Innovation Made Accessible. Um, everyone just refers to it as BIMA. We do have what the acronym means yes. underneath our logo, like on the wall in the room and outside on the cork board, but I don't think many people know what that acronym <laughs> is for. Because BIMA, the word BIMA is a platform. There you go. Really I like it both. I knew, the, I knew what it stood for, but it's a bit of a mouthful if I'm going to say it every time. I'm heading over to the Barron Innovation Made Accessible room. <laughs> Um, our, our initial ideas were a lot of puns or like rhymy names, uh -huh. but in the end we figured Bima really was a better representation because it's a Hebrew word right. and we're a Jewish day school, so it felt more appropriate for us and it, and it, and it starts with a B, so it enabled us to work <laughs> in there. Yeah, it was really perfect. A uh, few more questions and I appreciate your time. Um, what are some of the Beamer projects that you've been particularly proud of over the years? A really fun one, a very exciting one, I think, was when last year when we got involved in the donor gift at the beginning of the year. Right. So we were able to acquire an embroidery machine. And surprisingly, amongst all of the high-tech equipment that we have in Beamer, <laughs> including 3D printers, the most popular item amongst the students has been the sewing machine. How interesting. They love sewing, and there's so much math involved in the sewing that it really has such amazing educational applications, um, and they just, they love it, especially the middle school boys. They love sewing. So we were able to acquire an embroidery machine, and so for the donor gift in honor of Rosh Hashanah, we made challah covers for Rosh Hashanah, where we embroidered 
um, Shonatova Umetuka with some pomegranates on the corners, and then the kids sewed the pieces of fabric together and made challah covers for all of the donors that were very beautiful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we still have ours. And, sorry? We still have ours, and it was beautiful. Yes, they're they're wonderful, and I think a lot of people just use them year-round because mm-hmm. we they're just they came out really, really nice. And then part of what Bima, one of the initial ideas that we had for the utilization of Bima was the project that I mentioned before, the humanitarian aid project. Right. And so we were involved in it. I was involved in it before Bima came about. And so being able to use Bima to create the prototypes for these projects has been wonderful because this it being able to prototype, I think, has given the students more of an investment in their project right and it's made them feel way more connected to the projects than they would have if they were just writing it down on paper and so being able to actually create the product and see how it would work and use the product and model the product has made a really big difference in how they view the project and their connection to the project Mm -hmm. and i think really the development of their of empathy in the students and wanting to help people and help the world Amazing. So that's been, and that was our original vision for BIMA with our, right. inig- our initial acronym meaning. So that has been, I think, very meaningful, a very meaningful part of it. Good. And I've seen those projects. They're also incredible. Although I cannot believe you just said about a sewing machine, there's so much math involved. I mean, that's a pretty terrible pun, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how has the, uh, I, I know you do a BIMA elective with the middle school. Tell me a little bit about that. Like what kind of things do you do in there? So we try to get as all of the machines involved and give the students a taste of every piece of equipment that we have in there. Mm-hmm. So that goes from something no-tech, like cardboard prototyping, which is actually way more complicated than it sounds, up to high-tech with the 3D printers. So we created, so Jennifer and I were both offering electives in there initially. And so we would create the same curriculum because we would have them on opposite days, Monday, Wednesday versus Tuesday, Thursday. And we would create a project that involved each machine. And by the end of the semester, the students needed to complete all of the projects. What they did with that project was up to them because, of course, it's about creativity and using their creativity and their critical thinking um, to create these projects. So they would have to 3D print something, they would have to use the vinyl cutters, they would have a sewing project, they would have a woodworking project. And then we had a few that were, you know, involved circuitry and electricity and a few that involved the little motors to create motorized vehicles and or waterproof motorized vehicles. and they just they could do them in whatever order they wanted as long as they completed all of the projects by the end of the semester which worked out really well because when you have a classroom a a relatively small room full of 12 students you don't want them all fighting over two sewing machines right um and it just gave them an opportunity to use everything that we have in the room and students who were able to complete the projects uh, also as they were going thought of ways to utilize two of the machines in one project or three of the machines in one project. So they were really um, creative about it and innovative in their own way. Fantastic. Last question for you and uh, is how do you anticipate this evolving even in five years? What do you, what would your perfect world be 
uh, the uses of BMO we're making in five years or 10 years, or can you think that far ahead? Um, yeah, so the ultimate vision is to have BMA involved in all of the curricula to think of ways, and there are ways, to incorporate technology into every class, into every um, subject matter and grade level in some way, and give the students a taste of that kind of technology and that kind of innovation. I have been doing it, you know, being having access to BIMA and being familiar with all of the equipment already, right. and the way that science fits in so well with a STEM lab um, has made it very easy for me to incorporate the different technologies that are in BIMA into my curriculum and work it into projects and change some projects around where before maybe it would have just been a presentation or a cardboard prototype or something rather let's do a 3d model now and we'll 3d print it and um it's just been it's made the students more excited mm -hmm. about the projects that we do and they have even started thinking of ways to use the equipment in bima in ways that i hadn't thought of oh wow so i give them a project and they were like well can we 3d print this wow. instead of drawing <laughs> it or can we code this instead of just you know making a Tinkercad model, maybe we could make it into something moving and we can write a code for it and upload it onto, you know, one of the microprocessors. Oh, so fantastic. they've really started thinking that way as well. And um, I think it's just been very valuable addition to my curricula across all of my middle school classes. Right. And so I think it would be wonderful if we could incorporate it across the various grade levels and the various subject matters because there's always there's always a way even if it's not the 3d printers there's there's something in there for everyone i, I agree and it truly is transformational um thank you very much for your time i really appreciate speaking to you today and um thank you again for making the time to speak with us thank you for having me